Let's pray. Lord our God, as we come now to open Your Word, to read it together, and then hear it proclaimed, we ask and pray that Your Holy Spirit would help us here today. Help us, O Lord, to see that greater glory that has come with the coming of Christ and how we are being transformed into that same glory that Jesus now has. O Lord, God bless the reading, hearing, and preaching of Your Word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please remain standing and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians 3, we'll begin at verse 7 and read it this morning to the end of the chapter. Verse 18, hear now the word of God. It is infallible, it is inerrant. It is God speaking to us, so let us pay close attention. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord. Who is the Spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades away. But the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Two Lord's Day mornings ago. We looked at the first six verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We heard Paul speak of commendation in verses 1 through 3. Paul did not need a letter of commendation to come to the church of Corinth. Again, 
Again, there were the, the false teachers in Corinth who, who would come with these lofty letters of commendation, praising them. And Paul says, I need no such letter because the church of Corinth was his letter. They were the letter of commendation for all to see. And then Paul spoke of, of confidence through Christ, that confidence that we all have in Christ. Paul said in verse 6, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so Paul continues on this morning, speaking of being a minister of the new covenant. Now what is the difference between the old and new covenants? Let me just read for us from our Confession of Faith, chapter 7, I believe is a, it reminds us well, even though it will be a, a lengthy reading, reminds us well of the differences, the, the covenant, or this covenant, it says in chapter 7, paragraph 5, that covenant that is being spoken of is the covenant of grace. This, this covenant was differently administered in the time of the law and in the time of the gospel. Under the law, it was administered by promises, prophecy, sacrifices, circumcision, the Paschal Lamb, and other types of ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews, all for signifying Christ to come, which were for that time sufficient and efficacious through the operation of the Spirit to instruct and build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah by whom they had full remission of sins and eternal salvation, and is called the Old Testament. And in paragraph 6, under the, the gospel, when Christ the substance was exhibited, the ordinances in which this covenant is dispensed are the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which though fewer in number and administered with more simplicity and less outward glory, yet in them it is held forth in more fullness, evidence, and spiritual efficacy to all nations, both Jew and Gentiles. And it is called the New Testament. There are not, therefore, two covenants of grace, differing in substance, but one and the same under various dispensations. Now, if we could boil those two paragraphs down to a word or two describing the difference between the old and new covenants. The difference is this, Jesus Christ. You see, in the old covenant, they were awaiting the Messiah to come. They had all the sacrifices pointing to the coming Messiah. They looked forward to that coming of, of Messiah. They put their faith and trust in Him for their, their forgiveness and salvation but now, under the new covenant, Christ has come. He came in His first advent to accomplish all that the Father gave to Him to accomplish. And He accomplished every bit of that. And now we live on the other side of that. And we look back and we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the Messiah. And we too are redeemed and saved as the Old Testament saints looked forward. And this is what Paul is getting at this morning. He speaks of glory. 
Glory under the old covenant. Glory under the new. And so there are two things I want us to look at and see this morning from our text. And the first is that comparison of glory that Paul gives to us in verses 7 through 11. Verse 7, Paul says, Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone, on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Now, Paul is comparing this morning the glory of the covenant of grace under the old and under the new covenants. Paul's mind goes back to Exodus 34, verses 29 through 35. I'd encourage you to read that later today because that sets the historical, or gives to us the historical setting of Moses who had descended from Mount Sinai with the second set of tablets in which God had written the Ten Commandments. Now, why did God have to write a second set of tablets? Well, do you remember what happened in Exodus 32? Moses had been up with God on the mountain for some time, and the people of Israel, they wondered if Moses was alive or dead. And so they said to Aaron, Aaron, you, you, you make us some gods so that we will worship. And so when Aaron took the gold from the Israelites and he fashioned uh, uh, an image, a graven image, like a calf, the golden calf incident. And we know that God was very angry with his people. He judged his people and 3,000 Israelites died that day. And so when Moses came to the Israelites a second time, he carried the two tablets of stone on which God had engraved his law. Now what law? The Ten Commandments. The moral law of God. And this revealed to Israel that God was willing to renew His covenant with them. That He wasn't going just to cast them aside. And so at that time, Israel did what? They, they assented to the obligations of the Old Covenant. And so the second time when Moses came, what, what happened? His face radiated divine glory. And that proved that he had been in God's presence. And that's what Paul is getting at. But notice what he says, because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Now what was being brought to an end? What is Paul talking about? Well, he's talking about the old covenant. You see, the old covenant, yes, the covenant of grace under the Old Testament was never the end, was it? Because there was a greater glory that would come, and that is the glory of Jesus Christ. We know that when this happened, the Israelites were not able to look intently on the face of Moses. It wasn't because they weren't able, they were afraid to do so. Moses came down and his face was shining. You know, a lot of people today, they think they know what Jesus looks like. After all, we have these pictures, right? And they can't be wrong. Every one of them are wrong. Because when we see Jesus, His glory is going to be greater than anything we could ever imagine. That's why you shouldn't have pictures of Jesus. 
they do not present to you the real Christ. But here the Israelites, they cannot gaze upon the face of Moses. And so Paul is saying here that that old covenant is being set aside. And he goes on in verses 8 and 9, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Now, verse 8, Paul asked a rhetorical question. It was to receive an affirmative answer. Yes, the, the ministry of the Spirit is incomparable, incomparably greater in degrees of glory than that which surrounded the mystery of the Old Covenant. Paul here writes in verse 8, in the future tense, will be. But he is not saying that the greater glory will begin at the end of the ages. The future tense begins when? With the ministry of Jesus. When Jesus came to this earth and He began His ministry upon the earth and He continues after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost until when? Until the consummation. Until Christ comes in His glory and takes us home. That's what we call the, the last days, isn't it? The time between the, the first advent and the second advents of Christ. We are in the last days. And have been since the ascension. And so Paul says in verse 9, there was glory in the Old Covenant, we can go back and we can look at passages of Scripture where God reveals His glory to the Old Covenant saints. Remember one time, Moses asked God, reveal to me your glory. And he put him in that cleft of the rock and he only let him see a glimpse of His glory. Why? Because if Moses had seen all of it, he would have been consumed in death. Remember Isaiah in Isaiah 6, he goes into the temple after King Uzziah died, and he saw the glory of the Lord high and lifted up. And what did it make him do? Fall down on his face. And confess not only his own sin, but the sins of God's people. There was a glory in the, the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, in the ministry of, of condemnation, but the ministry of righteousness far exceeds it in glory. Now Paul here is looking at the totality of the ministry of condemnation and sees that the law given by God is glorious and the sentence just. The law given by God is, is right and just. It is glorious. And guess what? When we break that law, we deserve death. We deserve condemnation. But the ministry of righteousness is the same as the, the ministry of, of reconciliation where God declares a sinner righteous through the redeeming blood of Christ. And at that time, what does He do with us? He places us on that path of sanctification. And we begin being conformed to the image of Jesus. And by the time of our death, we are ready, aren't we? We're as conformed as we will be in this life as we look forward to the next. And then he continues in verses 10 and 11. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory 
has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Paul is telling us in verse 10, the glory conferred on the ministry of condemnation is nothing compared to the glory of the ministry of righteousness. Another way of looking at this is this way. The glory that we see here in this world is nothing compared to what will come to the next. There's glory in this world. We, we, we understand that. And we don't have the privilege as the Old Testament saints where God appears to us, do we? Many of us are so weak we wouldn't be able to take it if He did. But that day is coming. Jesus came in the flesh and He showed us the glory of the Father. And so the glory of the, of the ministry of God's righteousness far outshines the glory of the ministry that led to condemnation. So Paul here is seeing the Old Covenant not as having been abolished, but have, as having been built upon. And that's what Jesus has done, isn't it? When Jesus came, He did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And every bit of that has been fulfilled. For who? For us. For the people of God. And in verse 11, Paul goes on. He stresses the abiding nature of, of glory and the ministry of the new covenant. Now again, we read this morning, or I read for you that the, the difference is, is that you know, we have a simplicity, a simplicity in worship. When we come to the table this morning, you will not see me take a lamb and sacrifice it. But you will partake of blood. The blood of Christ, symbolically given in the wine. There's a simplicity and a beauty to that glory that we have in the new covenants. Now think of Paul for a moment. What was he leaving? He was leaving the old framework of the old covenant. Do you remember who Paul was? A Pharisee. A very good one at that. He tells us in Philippians, doesn't he? He was of the right tribe. He was of the right people. He was a Pharisee, but yet... What did he say there? And, and, and all those things, and all the, the glory of what he could count worthy in this life, he compares it as dung, as manure, compared to the knowledge of knowing Jesus. Now here in, in verse 11, Paul is opposing those Jews who attacked him at Corinth and elsewhere. As one commentator say, stated, he said, in this argument... The apostle who chiefly in view the Judaizers who made the law indispensable and superior to the gospel. Now, the law does what for us? What's the first work of the law to reveal sin? Now that makes it indispensable. Doesn't it? But, but it's not superior to the gospel because that which the law condemns, our sin, the gospel comes and it, it gives us that, soothe, that, that soothing for our sin, that balm to cover our sin and, and to forgive us. But we need both, don't we? The law must be preached, the gospel must be preached. If only the law is preached with no gospel, then it leads 
into legalism, another way of salvation. If only the gospel is preached with no law, we forget that we are condemned and we need to be saved by someone other than ourselves, and that is Jesus. And so Paul here is saying, look, the the glory of the new covenant is is so much more than the glory of the old. And then second of all, he goes on and he speaks of unveiled faces. Verse 12, since we have such hope, we are very bold. Let me ask you, are you bold this morning? Safe to say, most of us, I think, are, are introverts by nature. I know I am. I'd rather just be left alone. I know it's hard to tell sometimes, but that's me. And we don't have that boldness, do we? We don't have the boldness that we should have, but, but we have a boldness. Paul says we have such a hope for we are, and we are very bold. Why? Because the abiding nature of the new covenant fills Paul with hope, for he knows that nothing will supplant that covenant. There is no other covenant coming. There's one covenant, two dispensations, if we can use that word without being led astray. There's nothing supplanting the new covenant. And that is the hope we have. And it is founded on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of righteousness. And so he goes on in verse 13. And he says, not like Moses who would would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. We go back there in Exodus and... Israel, they were afraid of the glory of God shining on the face of Moses. And what did they ask him? They asked him to cover it up. Now, Moses would uncover it on two occasions. One, when he would go in and minister in the presence of Jehovah, he would go with unveiled face. But another time he would do it would be when he was speaking the word of God to Israel. Whenever Moses spoke the word of God, his He did not cover his face. But the veil covered Moses' face. Why? Because of the sin of Israel. Instead of repenting of their sin as they saw the glory of God on Moses and falling on their face and repenting of their idolatry and their violation of the first four commandments with the golden calf, they they were afraid. Moses, just cover it up. We don't want to see it. And Paul continues, verse 14. But their minds were hardened. For to this day when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is is it taken away. Paul is saying in his day the minds of the Israelites were hardened because of their sin. Now, that is true today. Of those Israelites who have not repented of their sin and turned to Christ. And that's not being anti-Semitic. It's the truth. They have hardened their hearts. You know, when there are synagogues today that read the Old Covenant, there's still a veil over them. Now, it's a figurative veil. It's a spiritual veil. Their hearts are hardened against Christ. They're their Messiah. And notice what Paul says. There's only one way for that to be taken away. And that is only through Jesus. Christ is the one that takes that veil away. Again, as we 
Think of Paul and who he was. He had to step out of the old covenant context in which he was raised and educated. And Christ lifted that veil that was upon his heart. And so Paul reminds the Corinthians that it's only in a, a living relationship with Jesus Christ that that veil is removed. And he goes on in verse 15, Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Paul is just elaborating on what he has just said. If one is not united to Christ, whenever the Old Covenant or the Old Testament is read, there is still a veil. There is still a blindness over those Israelites. Why? Well, they're spiritually blind and they are adverse to accepting the full message of the Scriptures. But Paul says in verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. What is that turning? Well, it's a turning from our sin and our unbelief and what we think we know, but we really don't. And we turn to Christ and we turn to Him because of the grace of God. And that veil has been removed from us and we see Jesus for who He is. And we go to Him and we say, Lord, save me. And how does that happen? Paul says in verse 17, by the Spirit. Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Do you see what he's doing? He's reminding us that the God whom we worship this morning is one God in three persons. The Lord is the Spirit. Jesus and the Spirit, they are the same. Yes, they are, they, they are equal in power and glory. They're one God, equal in power and glory. What the, and, and you remember what Jesus said to the disciples, that He would send His Spirit to what? To lead them in all truth. One God, three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The same in substance, equal in power and glory. And so where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Do you want to know where the most freedom in the world is today? It is where Christianity is the dominant religion. Why is that? Because just what Paul says here. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You know, you look at the different governments of the world. And you ask yourself, well, why don't, why don't, why don't all the governments allow for Christianity? Because it's a competitor, isn't it? The first thing that marks us do and, and communists do is do what? They try to eliminate the church. Because we can't have that freedom. We know that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there, there is spiritual freedom in Christ. Then in verse 18, he says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All who have unveiled face, we behold the glory of the Lord, and we are being transformed into that same glory. It's a wonderful thing to have the face unveiled. 
to see the glory of Christ. To see the glory that awaits us. You know, when we do enter into the presence of Jesus, there will be no veiling of face. We will have the glory that He now has. We will be glorified forever. And we are being transformed now to bear His image. And when Christ comes in that glory, we too will receive that glory. Now what application can we make here this morning? Well first, let's answer a question. If the glory of the new covenant far exceeds the glory of the old, why bother reading the Old Testament? Or why bother preaching from it? You know, tonight we'll be in 2 Samuel 5. Why, why do this? Well, you've heard me say this, and I'll continue to say it as long as I am here. If we do not understand the Old Testament, the Old Testament we will never understand the new. And there is the glory of God in the old, is there not? There's the glory of Christ in the old if we look. One covenant of grace. Different administrations. We know that God saved His people in the Old Testament as they looked forward to the Messiah who would come. We know our first parents were saved as they looked forward to the Messiah who would come as God gave them a picture there in the garden after their fall as He killed animals and He clothed them so that their nakedness were, was, was done away with. That was a picture of Jesus. We know that there was glory in the Old Testament. The glory of God. However, the glory of God through Christ far exceeds the glory of the Old Covenant. You know, when Christ came in His first advent, He came humbly, didn't, did He not? He didn't come in the glory He deserved. He didn't come with all the pomp and circumstance He deserved. He humbled Himself, as the Scriptures tell us, even to the point of death for us. But even in the incarnation, there is the glory of God. Even in the incarnation, even in that babe in the manger, it is God come in the flesh. Hence why you shouldn't have a babe in your manger. I know we're past Christmas, but anyway. It is the glory of God to this world. Second, we as believers come today... In the presence of God in worship with unveiled faces because that veil has been lifted by Christ and His Spirit has transformed us. And that is a beautiful thing, isn't it? To come into the worship of God and know that we are safe because we have a mediator in Jesus. Again, I don't think we understand what we do today. Morning and evening as we come into the worship of God. We are coming into the immediate presence of a holy God that we have offended time and time and time and time again. This week and even this morning. And the only way we can stand in the presence of God is that Jesus is here with us. And He intercedes at the right hand of His Father. 
Now for us as dirty, filthy Gentiles, it was the veil of our paganism that was lifted. You might say, I wasn't a pagan. Yes, you were. So was I. We worshipped and served everything. Paul tells us as much in Romans 1. Again, we would take that which was good as we read in our confession of sin this morning and we would make it into a god or into an idol and we would bow down and then God in His grace came to us and changed our hearts and gave us a faith in Christ so that we could cry out to Him and the veil was lifted. Third, because of the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we reflect the Lord's glory so that everyone can see that we are followers of Jesus. Let me ask you, when they look at you, when people look at you, do they see a follower of Christ? How you carry yourself, what you do, how you act. If you didn't speak a word to someone else, would they know there is a true follower of Jesus? And we have the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. And we do reflect the glory of God. Even in this fallen, miserable world, we reflect the glory of God. And finally, let me ask you, are you a follower of Jesus this morning? That's the most important question that can be asked. Yes, we are in a, a, new, a new year. This is day two of 2022. Have you ever thought about it this way? I always think of it this way. It might be depressing, I don't know. But every new year, it's, it's a year closer to my death. It is. This year could be the year of my death. I don't know. And that's why knowing whether or not we truly are in union with Christ. And a follower of Jesus is so important. Because we don't know, do we? Is there anyone here this morning that has a guarantee from God that you'll wake up in the morning? No. No. And so this is the most important thing we can do is to, to come to Christ and forsake our sin. And you see, we have a picture of what Christ did for us here this morning in the Lord's Supper. The bread, the body of Christ given for us, the, the wine, the blood of Christ shed for sinners who would just merely come to Christ in faith. That is a, an open invitation by God. Come to my son and you'll have life. You'll be saved. You'll be forgiven. And you will begin to see that transformation that Paul is speaking of here this morning that you are being changed by, uh, uh, from one degree of glory to another until that day when Christ comes and you'll be clothed fully in the glory of Jesus. And you will be forever with Him. May God unveil our faces, our hearts, this morning so that we with unveiled face would behold the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. And we thank You that it is You who lifts the veil from us, that we appear before You with unveiled face, And, O oh Lord, we pr I pray for any here this morning, young or old, that by Your Spirit they would see their need of Jesus if they know Him not or are not known by Him.
Lift the veil from their face. Give them spiritual eyes to see, ears to hear. And may they see here this morning the glory of Christ. May they see the sacrifice of Jesus for sinners. And may they come to Christ in faith. The Lord bless all who are here. If there are any here this morning without faith, give them the gift of faith. Open their eyes, change their hearts, and save them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.